everybody, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike, Bonnie, and Tim here. And with all that's going on in the world, we just sit sort of in silent grief and disbelief as we're watching a pandemic, um, a recession, and racial divisions explode. Um, these are such heavy, heavy days. And um, we're grateful for Bonnie, who has been really um, listening, advocating, um, championing in the in the midst of we don't know what to do or say. Um, she's just been an amazing guide. And, and so today, um, do you know her? Have you met her before? Have you met Britt before? I've never met her. You know what? We have um, a ton of mutual friends got it and so they have all pointed me towards her over the years yeah so i've followed her work for a long time yeah yeah and new abbey church the one that she worked at um they actually uh bought a bunch of tim shells and so that's how i became connected with the other pastor at the church Corey. got it got it yeah. got it got it so you know and it feels so weird when I'm reaching out and we're reaching out to people of color mm -hmm. to bring on the show for this. And, mm -hmm. you know, it just is, it feels just so odd, but, um, I think we're all in agreement that what we have to say on this isn't as, <laughs> as significant as anything else. Um, and so, um, we get to have, we get to have Britt Barron on today. And so Bonnie, do you want to set that convo up? Yeah, um, like I said, she's a awesome, she's so funny. She's like, I'm a typical millennial. I've got all these jobs. <laughs> um, she's an author. She's an educator. She's a speaker. Uh, she's a pastor. And so we wanted to just have a conversation with her about the current conversation. Yeah. Um, but she was so articulate. Um, I felt like she was vulnerable and yeah. eloquent. Um, she also did such a good job of using metaphors that made sense. Because yeah. sometimes we can get kind of lost in the language. Um, and then, you know, I thought her role as a pastor outside American evangelicalism, and she had left an evangelical church to start this other church that she started. Mm. Um, I thought that was really timely in the way that she has discussed it. Because I think part of this conversation, it has to do with America. Mm. Um, but like she s describes so well, um, America and Christianity are so intertwined. Mm -hmm. So there's a response um, for the church in the way that we frame everything and look at scripture and different things. So she does a great job speaking to that as well. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, there's um, some good stuff at the end of the episode about resources and things you can follow mm -hmm. up with. So stay, you know, make sure to listen all the way through. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vox podcast. Um, we are so honored and thrilled. We have the one and only Britt Barron with us this morning. Good morning, Britt. Good morning. Good morning. So happy to be with you all. This is so great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So for those uh, people that don't know you who are listening, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and um, sort of what makes up your days? Yeah, so I am a 
pretty stereotypical millennial in that my job is comprised of lots of random things um, that is ever evolving. So uh, one thing that I get to do, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about here is um, I am the co-pastor of a church in Pasadena called New Abbey. It's a very um, quirky community is how I'll describe it. Um, in my former life, I was a mega church pastor. And so mm. that shaped sort of how I engage, you know, certainly at New Abbey. I am also a, an author, a speaker, a diversity and inclusion trainer. Um, and yeah, live and a in huge sports fan and a and huge, huge sports, sports and you, you name the sport. I, yep. I love them all. Hockey, <laughs> curling. <laughs> These are lies. Britt likes sports as much as I like sports. Yeah. We have yeah. found out. Which is love, loved J-Lo at the Super Bowl. So hockey <laughs> that was very... And is it hockey and curling? Was Curly, curling yeah. the second? For some reason, Perfect. those were the first two sports I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Awesome. But I will say, even though I'm not a sports follower, I am a diehard Olympics fan. Oh, yeah. Like, it right. feels different I, for some reason. I don't know. It does. It's it weird. I'm totally opposite. What? Really? You know what? I learned yeah. that about a friend the other day. They were like, I don't really like the Olympics. And I said to him, this changes things. You don't love our country? I guess not. The uh, or Last time I remember being really into the Olympics was actually the Dream Team. That was like with Jordan and Bird and Magic and... And all oh, those I don't guys. watch those basketball. Are, those are basketball players. That's those are basketball not, players. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I don't clarifying. watch the Olympics for the rate, like the sports that I could see all the time. Exactly. That's true. I, I want to see gymnastics, like bobsledding. Like I'm like, let's. <laughs> I want to see. Are you at summer or winter? If you had to pick, um, summer, almost yeah. exclusively. I didn't even see, watch the, the winter until I made. It's the same thing as the. Uh, um, uh, for Pasadena, when we were living there, everybody was always the first thing they would ask us was, "Do you go to the Rose Parade?" And I was like, "I avoid that area of town two or three days prior mm-hmm. and post. Like, I, <laughs> I want parade. nothing to do with that parade. I yeah. watch it on TV. No. All I'm thinking is like, we could be Airbnb-ing our our house right now for so much money oh, every year, good. and I we yeah. forget we're always caught off guard that it's the Rose Parade." So. And then you always have that moment of like, should we quickly clean it and list it? Yeah, like how yeah, fast can you get somewhere <laughs> up on Airbnb? <laughs> so good. Um, okay, so we were so happy to have you on. Um, I personally have followed your work and um, listened to a lot of stuff from New Abbey. I think quirky is a great way to describe it. But um, I also love that you guys push the conversation. Um, so when, when you t- tell me a little bit about when you talk about, when you said you're a, I think you said a diversity and inclusion trainer, is that what you, was that the yes. title used? Mm-hmm. Okay. What does that mean? Talk to us about that. Uh, so that means a lot of different things, but, um, so I've always been a person, of, uh, I'm biracial. My father's African-American, my mother's Mexican and race has always been a huge point of conversation in our home. Uh, it's something we've never shied away from. They've always sat us down and had conversations about what that means. Uh, and at the same time, I grew up in predominantly white spaces. Mm. And so kind of developed um, a, a way around talking about these things. And that became something I was passionate about and 
right around college, for the end of college, I was the president of our Black Student Association mm-hmm. and an intern in our multicultural affairs office. And someone said, hey, could you have a conversation with, you know, this group of students and help us like sort of break this down. And I was like, I think I could. And then mm. I was like, I wonder how this is a thing, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Um, on and off for ever since, you know, I've graduated, oh my gosh, I don't even know how many years ago. Um, it's something I've been doing. I've had the privilege of doing it for different companies or corporations, uh, just facilitating conversations across the board. So. The main thing I've been doing and um, just work on something that'll launch on Monday actually is just how do we have a 101 entry point, mm. which is something I'm particularly passionate about. Um, there's all kinds of different anti-racist uh, work and advocates out there and it's mm-hmm. all valuable. I'll just, it's all valuable. And I think what I particularly care about is how do we have a point of entry I mean, make this conversation accessible for folks who maybe have not had accessibility to it, have not had the conversation. Um, and then mm. you certainly it's, it's almost like a ski lift, right? I'm trying to be like, here's a, it's coming, it's coming, you can get on. Um, and then there are, yeah. I mean, so many people who do so much good work. So that's sort of how I see my role in that. Yeah, no, Rick. that's great. Oh, I'm sorry, Bonnie. Could I, yeah. could I f- ask a follow-up to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, One thing, so my wife and I were at um, some protests in Columbus, Ohio, and one of the things the speakers were saying is, you know, please don't ask us to educate you. Please don't ask us to relive our trauma, you know, for your education. Google is free, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that and and how how do you reconcile both of those? Um, So if as a trainer, um, and you're advocating for you know the education and updating and informing of of people who you know are new to the conversation how do you reconcile the two of those things together yeah yeah i think it's a balance um one thing i say a lot is it's not people of color's job to educate white people about racism Mm -hmm. but what i'm saying is that that is my job as a person Mm -hmm something that I am choosing to do that I'm willing to do. And I think that, um, gets confusing sometimes in our culture. We've been able to see, uh, people of color, specifically black people as sort of a monolith. So one black person says something and you're kind of like, that's how black people feel. Right. Yes. Um, where I could be on this podcast with three of you and assume, Oh, you all have different uh, ideas or, or, or values or things. So I always try to make it very clear of, I'm not doing this because I'm a black person or because I'm just a a person who cares about this. I'm doing this because I feel particularly passionate. Mm -hmm. I feel, um, I'm not gonna use the word called, I hate that word, but uh, equipped, I feel like this is something I want to contribute to the world. Um, And so from that place, we're gonna have this conversation. I was just saying on Sunday at New Abbey, we had a conversation about it and I was like, believe it or not, not every black person wants to be an advocate. Yeah. A lot of black people just want to go to work and then come home, um, yeah. go to the movies, have a date night. So right. I think right. allowing ourselves to see more diversity even within the black community is going to be extremely helpful as we move forward. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a great, great point. And I think I read this. I've been I started reading. It's been um, 
recommended to me for years and I haven't picked it up. I'm embarrassed to say, but I did this week, uh, which was white fragility. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things it talked about in there that I didn't even understand, I've done some work with Latasha be the bridge and some stuff, but this like made it. And so when you're talking about this entry point and the diversity within the black community is that for some white people, they don't understand even an entry point because they don't even understand, or we don't even understand that being white, that's a race in and of itself. So we don't have, like, we've just, we just think of it as something that is like, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm this and we are this and it's different. And so, um, when you start talking about it, your entry point, and this is perfect because this podcast will come out on Monday, by the way. So this will be great. So we can, um, oh, awesome the thing you're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is the first step? What is the entry point? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Well, what's fascinating is I think we're seeing a, what we're experiencing right now culturally is a giant entry point, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you cannot mm -hmm. be on social media, which is everyone's favorite pastime. And you cannot be on there without hearing or seeing something about race, privilege, um, right. police systems, structural systemic racism, all these words that you may have literally never heard are probably exclusively flooding your social media feeds right now. So mm -hmm. I think whatever point of entry, point of entry is kind of whatever is like the catalyst that, that sort of wakes you up. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the first thing that you need to do or people should do to get into this conversation is back up and get a little historical context. I think it's, mm. I think it's fundamentally like important. So one analogy I always use is, uh, have people picture themselves by like a beautiful river. Like it's serene water sitting in the rocks, winds blowing in the trees. You're sitting there. You're like, wow, what a great river. And then you look and the river's full of trash. Um, and you have a few options, jump in the river, start grabbing as much trash as you can, um, mm -hmm. or walk upstream and figure out how the trash is getting in the river. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people's first step is instinct is like, oh my gosh, there's not equality. I'm going to go out and like be nice to every black person I see, right? <laughs> you know, it's right. like, great. Um, but if you don't understand how we got here, Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to be much help in dismantling some of those systems. So mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, the first step is historical context and, and understanding that. Mm, that's really good. That's super helpful. Um, what about, this is, um, a topic that I know you're passionate about and I, we all are too, but what about the church? Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like in this conversation, it's particularly tough. I think that historically speaking, the evangelical church especially has a big blind spot on racism. Mm -hmm. um, just so you know, I, I also think that everyone thinks majority, at least I was grown up with the belief that like God and Jesus are white. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the way that we hold things, the way that we talk about things really changes and shapes what they become in our lives. Mm -hmm. So there's this big sort of, I don't, I don't know, undercurrent, if you will, of that, that's so prevalent, not only in the pastors we see on stage, uh, the messages we receive, the photos 
I mean, in the paintings of Jesus, yeah, yeah. Uh, but even in our, our Bible translations and interpretations, mm-hmm. right? Like who shaped it and uh, what the view of God is and all that stuff. And so there's a big blind spot there. And I think sometimes what happens, and please tell me your experience here, if, or if you would agree or disagree or what to do about it, is that a lot of times people in the church hear um, like about a historical context or this and that, and it gets super convoluted and mushy. Uh, because how could that be true if, how could that be true about themselves? How could it be true about the society we grow up in if God and Jesus are also white, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like they can't separate this idea. Um, so I know that you, you said you left a mega church and now you're part of New Abbey. Um, but like what's been your experience with that and the evangelical system and how do we talk about it in churches in a way that... Um, is helpful and not harmful and sort of shift our picture of who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, well, that's a big question, but it really I, was, you know, was like yeah, 10 questions. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so this, this episode is going to be four hours. It'll be a three part, <laughs> but, um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. said that, you know, 11 a.m. on the Sunday is, is the most segregated hour of the week. And it's certainly mm-hmm. still fundamentally true, uh, you know, I don't know what year he said that, but it wasn't last year. Um, And and here we are, right? Uh, So I think a few things, right? I think the church, uh, the evangelical church in America reflects um, American culture, but almost even in a a heightened way. So Mm. how I like to explain things sometimes is... um, like we've took, we took Christianity, we took white and we took American and we braided them together. Mm. And then if you've ever like braided your hair and then slept on it, and then you, it's kind of hard to figure out like even which it's like, we slept on that braid for 400 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we're going through and saying like, which one of these is which right to be right. American is to be white is to be Christian. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge problem, mainly because I think the evils of racism and the evils of the evangelical church are uh, the same root and that and that's power. So mm-hmm. um, when we see, I'll talk about race for a minute, when we see something like um, the murder of George Floyd or Trayvon Martin, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, um, or when we see racist acts of violence, that is, that is the top level of an iceberg Mm-hmm. Um, and Ibram Kendi talks about this amazingly well, but the bottom of that iceberg, it starts with power, this is power. Then you have policy, then you have ideas. And then the, the, that's what leads to that action. And so, mm-hmm. um, fundamentally the church is very concerned with power, right? More than anything, why they don't confront, um, corrupt systems around race, gender, sexuality is to mm-hmm. preserve power, which is yeah. hilarious as a side note, because the Bible is extremely concerned with, with power, who has it and how they use it. Um, but because these things are tied up together, right? The church has almost had more of an excuse than sort of our, our quote unquote mainstream American culture to keep hiding behind that. Because mm-hmm. if you, the, the way things go, right? So it's like power, let's look at slavery, for example. So you have these people who are in power, they develop a policy and the policy is always self-serving. So mm. the policy is 
um, black people get to be owned as property. But you have to have ideas that support that policy to keep your power. So the idea then is black people are less than, black men are aggressive and over-sexualized, black women are um, helpers and, and all of these things. And then that is what allows for that treatment in that that behavior. And so when you look at the church, it's it's the same thing. The church has power. They've had to create policies to preserve that power. It's always in self-interest. And then they've had to have ideas that support those policies. So the policy is women can't speak or we don't have any people of color in the thing or whatever. Um, but they have to give ideas behind that. Men are head of household. Um, mm -hmm. Jesus is white. Um, white is is normal he, all of our theologians that we read these are these ideas and that's what supports the church's ability to enact sort of in the way we see right i don't know if that makes yeah. sense so no, makes um, sense. <clears throat> so i think it fundamentally it comes down to power and that's hmm. something that the church isn't willing to lose it's not reflective of of what we see in scripture it's not reflective of of the life of jesus it's not reflective of any of these things and it's not even about theology if we're being completely honest it's yeah. it's not even close to about theology right yeah. it's, it's about power and and that's the one thing that both in race and a lot of other ways that the church isn't willing to give up mm, that's really true gosh you know i went to um my experience in seminary was such that I didn't even, and I didn't even notice it until, you know, just over the past two years, all, every book I read was written by a white male, a straight white mm -hmm. male. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes studied feminist theology. Mm -hmm. And so then we read the women. We sometimes studied black liberation theology. We sometimes studied liberation theology. And then a few years ago, all of a sudden I was like thinking about that and looking at it and thinking like, wait a minute, why are these like these, I was really taught in the system that those ideas were others, right? Mm -hmm. Like a few people think this way, mm -hmm. but this is the mainstream. This is how we're trained. Well, and you call it, you call it something else, right? You don't call it theology. You Just, call it feminist exactly. theology. Like why? Wait, what? <laughs> Which, yes. is this, which is the same way we treat our, our national identity, right? Like to be white is to be American. And I know that because everything else is hyphenated. Yeah. I'm African-American. Yeah. Or people yeah. are Mexican-American, wow. Chinese-American, Korean-American. Yeah. Other people are just American. And so then mm -hmm. you have just theology. And right. Dallas Willard is a theologian. And all these people are, but then you have feminist theology yes, and feminist theology. black theology and mm -hmm. right so so we do this in such subtle ways and here's what we say this at new abbey literally all the time the minute you begin to other someone the last domino to fall is always violence mm. the minute you begin to other someone the last domino to fall is always violence meaning the minute that you are able to look at someone and say well you're a african-american you are a feminist theologian you are a something those feel like subtle moves but those subtle moves the last piece of that is always a trayvon martin or an ahmaud arbery or a brianna taylor so when i talk about race and i talk about privilege and i and i bring up a, a bunch of things that people say like well is that a big deal right like the example i use all the time is going to target and i go to target as um a woman of color um with with very you know curly hair and I walk through Target, like the Target in Pasadena, in my neighborhood in 2020, and it will have two aisles of hair care. 
And then the labels on the shelf will say hair care, hair care, hair care, hair care, hair care. And then one section says multicultural hair. Hmm. So that is so subtle, but that is just another way to let me know and to let everyone else know that this hair is normal and this kind of hair is specific mm-hmm. and it's different and it's other. Mm-hmm. And those are the little nuances of privilege woven all throughout our society because white has to stay normal. Everything else has to stay other for that power to be preserved. Mm-hmm. And that power has to rest on policy and ideas or else it will crumble. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about even the church and the way the church handles this, the church is so great at constantly reminding people that they are other. Mm. Women, people of color, and people in the LGBTQ community are every single interpretation of scripture, every theologian that is taught to them, every understanding of what, who God is, what Jesus looks like, what they want from you, what, what race is, what sexuality is, what forgiveness is, what it means to obey, all of these things are those ideas that rest, that keep that power safe. And that's, mm. you know, what humans, a lot of humans want, right? Damn. Yes. <laughs> um, gosh. So tell me how you, as a pastor at New Abbey, approach it differently. Yeah, I mean, there's, let me just say up front, um, I'm very proud of the work that we get to do at New Abbey. And I am certain that 10 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, oof, missed the mark, right? We, we're doing the best yeah. we can to evolve. And, and I don't want to say any of this as like, here's what we do. Um, right. Because I I know for sure, you know, I've been proud, very proud of the work I've been doing before that I look back on now and think like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Um, just say that up front. Uh, I think one thing that's, you know, uh, a few ways, uh, Corey and I, Corey's the other pastor, you know, Corey, mm-hmm. one thing that we're constantly trying to do is deauthorize ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think part of the problem with church, how churches have preserved power, particularly, um, church leadership is by making it seem as though I have somehow more connection to God, more access to God. And so you have to come see me. You have to come hear me um, Mm -hmm. to know what God might be saying to you um, to get like, you know, I, I I was writing about this or tell the story um, that when I, when I uh, knew I was gay and I didn't know what to do about that, I remember thinking, I actually still feel like God loves me, but unless a, like a leader in the church cooperates that story, is it true? Mm-hmm. Right. We, we sort of been trained to like, you need someone yeah. with power and authority to cooperate any story you believe about God for it to be true yeah. in your own life. Yes. Totally. And so That's how do you, totally how I feel. Yeah. Like how do we as pastors say, no, no, no we're just the ones afforded like the time and energy to like create this conversation um, we spend about half of our time every Sunday in, in conversation with, with one another that, and, um, response time towards us to constantly say like, this isn't the important voice. My voice isn't the important voice. It's, it's all these voices together. And, um, 
at the beginning of our gatherings, we always say like, it's, it's everyone in this room bringing their voice and their story. That's going to allow the story of God to get bigger for all of us. Because if I own the story of God, it's going to stay way smaller than it needs to be. Right. Everyone's voice has to contribute to this. Um, but yeah, that gets, you know, that gets tricky for how a church runs like in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, financially specifically, right? If people don't feel like they, you know, that's in a lot of churches that you have to create a sense that people have to come back. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) Exactly. Like, or, or how's that going to work? Um, and so trying to, to de-authoritize our roles in that, um, trying to be a, a church that's active, like we are, the LA pride parade is shifting to, it's like a, a pride for black lives, um, mm-hmm. March and it's on a Sunday. So we're just going to cancel church and everyone go there. Um, mm-hmm. trying to respond in real time to things in real ways and not, mm-hmm. not avoid any of the hard conversations. I think if there's one thing I've learned of stepping out of, of the mainstream evangelical world, it's, I have, you know, and you all, you know, as you have been in your own progressions could probably relate the amount of messages I receive of people saying like, yeah, I totally think that too, Mm -hmm. but I just know they can't say it. They feel like their hands are tied. You know, that's how they pay their rent. That's how they feed their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so we never want to be in a position, right? That's, that's what I said when, when I started in Abbey, I never want to be in a position where my hands are tied. And I feel like there's certain words I can't say or topics I can't bring up. Um, cause I think that's what's kept us for so long that the church I was at previously was actually a church that was pretty forward on wanting to, to have honest conversations about race. Mm-hmm. And in that there were a lot of words we just weren't allowed to say because mm-hmm. they felt divisive. It felt scary for, big givers or, you know, all of these, all right, these right. things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do yeah. our best to say, this is white supremacy. We're going to call it that. Um, right. we can't be afraid to say words that might disrupt the power that we, we feel like we've gained. So I don't know if that yeah. made sense, but no, it totally mm-hmm. made sense. Well, and I think part of that, which is, um, great. Cause I wanted to talk to you about this. Um, so you have a book coming out worth it. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which is awesome. So people can find that on your website. Yes. Um, and so when is it coming out? It comes out July 21st. Around the corner. I know. I know. I don't even That's have, awesome. yeah, <laughs> every therapy appointment from here on out is just me <laughs> talking about my feelings. <laughs> it's weird to put something like make something and put it out into the world. It's weird. I know. It's you totally do it by weird. yourself for so long. You're just writing. And then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, and oh, then you're like, God. I'm going to hide now. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. reading all the things. I know. Like part of me is like, you um, know what? No, don't even, don't, don't get it. Like, you know what? Just let it sit on your shelf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> totally. fine. I know. Um, so it's something I, when you just said that about certain words, um, and I think that this, that triggers some language can trigger something in people. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things it can trigger, um, especially out of defensiveness, I think is fear. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved what you said when I was looking over on your website, 
something that caught my eye um, in the midst of these big conversations about race um, is that you said um, we can overcome our own fears, the kinds of fears that keep us from evolving beyond the narrative that has been handed down to us by others. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was super powerful. Um, It takes a lot of self understanding and reflection first to know that we've been handed down narratives. Mm-hmm. I think not everybody realizes that in the church or, or outside of the church. Um, but when you talk about that in term, if we're using that framework, the mm-hmm. fear framework and overcoming, um, in terms of race, mm-hmm. um, what do you think some of the fears are? Um, in I know in white supremacy, for example, she talks about like she's like all white people have a fear of being racist, yeah. right? Uh, like that's true. Um, and then I heard um, from a few voices this week of people I follow, there are people of color saying, "I'm afraid of saying Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. or of saying I support this movement, or saying white supremacy because I'm afraid people will stop supporting me or mm-hmm. whatever it might be." So I think there's fear all around. Can you speak to that a little bit and how? not only do we have permission to change our minds, but almost that we have, we have to, and we have to kind of get over fear in some sort of way if we want to make progress. Totally. Yeah. I think fundamentally, um, from a perspective of, I think white folks who are afraid to start this journey, get in the conversation, however you want to frame that language. Um, there is a quote by James Baldwin, which is one of my favorite quotes that I think sums it up. Well, he says, uh, I imagine the reason people cling to hate so tightly is because they fear once the hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know hate is a strong word and you may not identify with that, but I feel like what he's saying in there is, if you have treated people a certain way and you have perpetrated a narrative, even if you don't believe it anymore, even if you think it's bullshit now, you don't want to let that go because what what do you do with the feelings of how you've treated people because of that? Mm. So if you've been in a church and you realize that you have silenced the voices of people of color, that you have not respected the voices of people of color, that you have not stood up for your friends of color, that you have um, that you have been a participant in this like structure of white supremacy mm. and you realize that sometimes I think for people it's easier to say, well, I can't even think about that because what would that mean then? You would have to then deal with those feelings and people hate feelings. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, we hate them more than anything. And so we, we cling to, to beliefs and systems that we either know are wrong or don't believe anymore because we're afraid of what we'll have to do on the other end. We hate Mm. being wrong. We hate having to change course when that is the point of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. That is how we all got here by like, you know, it's so wild to me when you have like babies and they're like learning to walk and you're like, oh my God, now learn to run. Oh my God, now you learn to run a bike. Like, oh my gosh, now you can drive. (laughs) And then we reach like some point in our twenties and it's like, don't ever change from here. You know, like now you've arrived. Don't evolve. Yeah. Don't you've reached your limit. Um, and I think that's, that's what we see, right. Is people, they give years and time to a church and to a community Mm. and to pastors and to ministries. And to think that that might have been 
quote unquote in the wrong or or not what they yeah. thought it was that's almost so painful for enough people that they won't even engage with the conversation yeah. i think it's it's such a tragedy because on the other side of that is the only place where we find the things that are truly worth worth living for right and make life mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. there is an interesting thing there oh, oh go ahead you go mike no, no you go, go tim no you go no you go you know what i'll go beer. no i'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding <laughs> We used to talk about it a lot in our 20s, um, and I think exactly that progression that you just said is so true. The um, There was this weird thing where you'd watch the, I don't know if you call it, we make generational marks really quick now. It used to be like 20 or 30 years, but now it's just like Gen X, Y, everything's mm-hmm. like immediate. <laughs> yeah. it's, like a mm-hmm. fi- it's like a five-year differential. Um, but we would watch, and I'm just speaking from a white male perspective, but that... Uh, uh, I, we used to call it the old Navy thing. There's a certain point where guys kind of gave up and and adapted a status quo, and there was a style and an everything that went with it. And there was this like there's this ideal or this like mental thing that was like you work and fight for something, whatever that is, whatever your place in the world is, whatever you think the world should be. And then you hit a certain age, and it's about then protecting whatever it is that you have. Hmm garnered during that first 20 30 year, depending on when that kind of time period hits like defending that holding on to it and so it's interesting because when you get to the point where you're the age of the people who should be teaching and handing down to the next generation behind you or the subsequent generations we tend to be at that point doing the opposite and closing the doors and mm-hmm. saying i'm going to protect what's me and mine now mm-hmm. and i and then i so saw i've I don't know if there's a question there. I've just been trying to process why you guys are talking because the protests that we've been to, it's been so encouraging to see the youth leading a majority of the conversations and leading a majority of the, um, just the protesting. And, And you'll see some older generations that are standing behind them and stuff, but it's like this, this idea of settling or this idea of arriving or this idea. And the church does this, not just on, not just on incendiary, not on just like race or that kind of stuff. We mm-hmm. also try to get the church to a safe spot where we can be like, all right, now we've, we're in our lane. Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of keep it. Let's hit cruise mm-hmm. control. And yeah. I feel like we do that just in life in general. And we kind of lose this ability to continue to learn and, and to continue to challenge the youth as they're doing those things of like, you walk, you run, you ride the bike. Like, you're right. That's a great progression of like, keep going, keep going. Like you mastered this one. Now let's get the next one. Let's get the next yeah. one. But we hit some wall at some point where we're like, no more learning, no more growing. Let's just kind of like, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you just see all this stuff. Like, cause the world still spins, the world still turns. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting, it's a weird, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's predominantly American or not, but it's a really interesting, uh, stumbling block, at least that I've seen growing up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's in, in the 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 hopeful part of it, or the you know hopeful and and heartbreaking, fascinating part of it is, um, for probably a, a many reasons. But what we're experiencing is a cultural moment that's so big that a lot of people have been sort of like punched out of that cycle, right? Yeah, it's been interesting, um, yeah. Because we we want that comfort, we want that, and and that's what something that the church offers so well is to say, Hey, we'll give you guidelines on how to live and then life won't be hard. And you're like, Oh, cool. (laughs) Um, but 
and you, you, you settle into those rhythms and they can't be disrupted because that will disrupt the whole ecosystem. But, but we're experiencing something right now that has disrupted the whole ecosystem for a lot of people who thought that they were out of that change cycle forever and had settled in and they were going to be comfortable and they were going to like put their blinders on and look straight ahead. Like they're forced to take those off right now. And so it's, mm. it's a fascinating moment. Yeah. I feel I'm sorry to be cynical. I feel, I feel so nervous about, um, I think this is true of the church and I think it's probably true of white people too. Um, that's a sweeping generalization, but my experience <laughs> of white people in the church. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but um, you know how that, like I can think of, oh gosh, what year was that? Like maybe circa 06, 07, I don't know. When it, um, that organization, I'm not even going to say it right. Um, Erie, you're going to know what I'm talking about because we talked a lot about it at Rock Harbor. But it was um, like Save the Kit. It was that thing in Uganda and they had like a documentary and it was like this huge movie. Oh, Invisible yeah. Children? Yes, 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 yes. And so everybody like gave their money. Oh my gosh, we have to do this cause. And then six months later, nobody's even, I mean, look at me. I can't even say the name of it. I can't even remember <laughs> the name. And so I worry about this sometimes in a big cultural moment and maybe that's just part of it. Maybe it's true. Maybe some stay on the cause and some just fall off. Maybe that's the trajectory of human existence. Uh, but I so worry about that happening. Um, and I also really worry about how we have a tendency to say, I'm going to help the other. And so then look at me and how I'm helping the other. Mm-hmm. And so that's a worry I have. And um, and so what, like, what is your response to that in terms of, um, like, to me, real change, obviously, we have to educate ourselves. Um, I'm super looking forward to pointing people towards um, the thing that's coming out the day this episode comes out, which is awesome. Um, but in terms of then, like, converting it to real life change, I think we have to confront some of those fears and that pain that you said or that mm -hmm. you were talking about in order to make an actual change. Um, and we are going to have to sacrifice things, status quo, com you know, being comfortable, not being in pain, like all those different things. Do you agree with that? I mean, in order to make it something that's lasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you ha you have to. It has to become personal and for it to become personal, mm -hmm. it can't be about charity. It can't be about. Um, I don't know what it is, but like I went to a, a Christian college and then I worked in churches and nine out of 10, I would say nine out of 10 white evangelicals in America at some point felt quote unquote called to Africa. And I still to this day, I'm like, what is that about? <laughs> yeah. Um, there are, I mean, there's, so there's, there is an idea um, again, right in that pyramid of, mm -hmm. of sort of things, there's a, there's a prevailing idea. I think that the way to support black people is charity is, mm -hmm. um, helping is a lot of these things that still allow you to have that sort of, uh, superiority, um, mm -hmm. and that internalized racial superiority is a term we talk about a lot. Um, and you are still, you still get to have that in a certain way, mm -hmm. unless you make this personal and realize your own, your own ideology, your own, um, racist, uh, beliefs, your own things. This is, this is your process. And unless it becomes that personal, if it, be, if it 
you're still doing this right now and you're marching into these things because out of charity, because you're like, oh, we've got to do this and not because you are a part of this, then it will it'll fade like anything else, right? You have yeah. to you have to understand your role and, and be pushed to that. And not everyone who's posting on social media right now and super about it, not everyone's going to make it. You're right. Like that's just, yeah. you know, every time I go to the dentist, I feel super passionate about flossing for two weeks and then... <laughs> because you know it makes me feel like i'm gonna say your hair and braids and flossing analogies they're the best they're giving me so much life because they are the braid one the braid one was tough for me i'm not i'm not gonna i don't understand that yeah yeah. right of like i'm gonna do this thing i'm gonna make the change and then Mm -hmm. and then you're like oh because it's not personal right like and 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 you have to you have to understand what that means to you it's Mm-hmm. if you feel like it, you want, you care about it. Cause like what a great cause out there, then, then you're not going to make it for the long haul. Um, but if you can start to understand this is impacting me and mm-hmm. it's impacting me negatively because it's making me a part of the system that I don't believe in or want to be about that is hurting mm-hmm. other people. And that's not who I am. That's not what mm-hmm. I want to do. Then make that personal. And then you come up with those, you know, I, I, there are certainly resources. And so this, this guide that we created that comes out on Monday ends with you, uh, developing your own anti-racist action plan. Mm. And so much of that is, you know, we we set up and we'll do all these things, but just to like bury the lead here. So much of that is, is on your work. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm not, I can't tell you what to do. Cause right. I'm not at the Thanksgiving with your grandma who's going to say something racist. And I don't, you know what I mean? I can't tell you a, a canned yeah. response and yeah. I don't work with your employer and I can't send them an email to ask them what they, I don't know who the, the, the sheriff is in your County and, and whether or not they have mandatory body cams. Like you, mm-hmm. you have to take this on. Um, mm-hmm. You have to, if you understand your own internalized racial superiority, you understand how the system works then you should be able to then start identifying it in your own ecosystems of family, work, life, friends, mm. and develop your own action steps. Yeah, um, no, I love that. I think that's great. Cause I think sometimes it, when it's on such a big scale, it's like, we're just, people are looking towards the news mm-hmm. but for you to say like, no, when you internalize it, you won't be able to un- unhear it, unlearn mm-hmm. it, unsee it. And it should just naturally promote you to action in your own neighborhood, your own city, your own, that's yeah. really great. Brit, just um, personally. Oh, I'm sorry, Bonnie. No, go. Uh, I was just curious. What gives you what gives you hope mm-hmm. uh, when days you know th- that are that are as um, disruptive and and heavy? What gives you hope in the midst of this stuff? What do you see God doing? What do you see? What are signs of life that even in the midst of all this that you would point to and say, Yeah, yeah, this we're 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 still moving forward. Yeah. I mean, well how many conversations about race have y'all had on this podcast? Yeah. Um, and that <laughs> I, I've been joking with my wife. I'm like, I'm so popular this. this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but there is, you know, there's a heaviness, um, mm-hmm. that sometimes just feels heavy and I just, you know, cry and it feels like, are we ever going to, are we ever going to, to, to beat this kind of, you know, is like how it feels. Um, and then, uh, Octavia Butler has a line, uh, that she says, 
uh, our job here is to plant seeds for trees that we'll never sit under. Mm. Um, and, and that is, that is unshakable in inside of me. I think mm. things that give me hope in the current cultural moment are honestly, you know, we went to a protest, uh, just a few days ago and it was like overwhelmingly white. I was like, is this felt like being at back in my private Christian college? I was like, well, I'm one of like four black people here. <laughs> like this is, yeah. um, but this is a place I want to see that. Like that felt so hopeful. People are talking about race who, I mean, I never thought would want to have a conversation about it. And that makes me hopeful in the cultural moment. And what makes me hopeful for this work in the long term is my connection to people who have done it before me and my commitment to the people who will do it after me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I understand the narrative of, of scripture, the life of Jesus, the, the, the things that God is pointing us to, I think it makes me even more settled into a reality that I'm a part of a long legacy of people who are working mm-hmm towards this upside down reality that Jesus was so constantly talking about. And there's going to be a long line of people after me that, that this thing isn't centered on my life. This thing is centered on, on what it means to create a space where everyone has a seat at the table. And, um, and that, yeah, I don't know that, that, that is my, my constant source of hope. You know, my mm. current cultural source of hope is, is how many people are in the conversation, but my constant source of hope is, oh, I'm I'm in this with with thousands of people from before me and, and I'm in this for the thousands of people after me because I believe in it. Not because I need to see something, um, because I believe it's it's right and good and true and um yeah. Thank you. That's really yeah. helpful. Yeah, and you um you are, you do that in a lot of lanes because you are in others in, in that category in so many different ways. You're a person of color, you're a female, and then a female pastor, <laughs> which is also, and you're part of the LGBTQ community. And correct me if I'm wrong, is your wife, your wife is white, right? Yes, yes. Yes, okay. Super white. And so what, <laughs> what, um, tell me what those conversations look like between the two of you. Yeah. I mean, we joke sometimes that those are, uh, you know, it's not, those are some of the harder conversations we've had, you know, even through all the things that we've sort of gone through, um, being two women who, you know, love, love God, love each other. Um, because there's, there's, there's just a different process, you know? And so, Mm -hmm the the conversations between us my wife is she's amazing um and she has she grew up in orange county um so i told her i was like i'm gonna be on this podcast she was like oh mike Erie was the pastor when i used to go to rock harbor yeah so she was like <laughs> bet on this um journey that i feel like we we've all been on um we've all like if we panned out, we'd see all the places we cross paths. Like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Different ways. Yeah. Um, so we have the best conversations. And, and um, this week, we really, or this past week, I honestly don't even, it could be any day right now. Quarantine plus yeah. <laughs> what's happening in the world. I'm like, I don't know where we are. I'm but yeah. um, one recent week, we 
we've had to really learn to give each other space because we know that we are going to experience these things differently. I don't know why that kind of felt, that feels super obvious to say. Um, but as a white person, she's still on this journey of like, I need to know, I need to learn, I need to do, you know, and I'm like, I want to watch the office tonight and pretend Mm. like nothing's Mm. happening. And she's like, I got to stay up. And I'm like, and I'm like, I got to tap out. Um, yeah. And so just, just being, being able to, to read that and, um, you know, she, she's the person I love most in the world. Right. And so I think that frames a lot of the work in a ways in which, you know, I do want to make an entry point for, for white folks to get in this conversation. And then she has to understand sort of what I need, you know, when I think the day after George Floyd's murder, not that it happened, but that it like, was widely like shared um i was just like in a hole and she's like i think you should go to rosie's house rosie's you know uh my best friend who's also black like you know her just knowing like this you that's what you need right now you know and i was like i think you're right um and Mm so we're figuring it out and it's Mm -hmm. it is i guess to back to your question mike i hadn't thought about it directly but I mean, our, our marriage, our relationship for a million reasons, but I think it is a a big source of hope, right? Mm. To see her and not only her, her family, to have conversations with her grandma, you know, um, Mm. and just know like, okay, wow. Like people, again, it's, it's personal now because I'm a part of their Mm. family. Um, yeah, but certainly I've seen so many shifts and yeah. Yeah. Cool. I just appreciate that. I just love hearing personal journeys as well. Um, gosh, thank you so much for this conversation and just the way that you um, passionately pursue equality in so mm-hmm. many different ways. And um, I've been encouraged by you. And so I hope people check you out. So where can they find the guide? Where can they find your book? Mm-hmm. Where can they find New Abbey? Yes. Okay. Uh, you can find basically everything you need to know about me on Instagram okay. at Britt Barron. Just one T, two R's. Or if you're not a social media person, BrittBaron.com. And uh, New Abbey, uh, at New Abbey Church on the gram and NewAbbey.org on the internet. Got it. And are you guys still in quarantine over there? Not meeting as churches? Uh, No. Oh, no, we're not. So actually, it's kind of been fun because we never thought we'd do this, but we're live streaming every Sunday. So even if you're not in Pasadena. Anyone can tune in. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And tell us um, your guide. What is it called? Do we download it? Do we go to BrittBaron.com? Yes. It will be available on BrittBaron.com. It is currently nameless. It will have a name by Monday. Um, yes. But it is, uh, it's, it's essentially understanding racism one-on-one. It oh. is, it, this is your guide. If you are like, I have I don't know where to start. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so all. much. Thank you. Thank you, Britt, very much. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com 
backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.